Welcome to the In Common Podcast. This is Stefan Partolo. In today's commoning episode, we are talking about topics related to commoning and the Anthropocene. In advance of the International Association for the Study of the Commons virtual conference on commoning the Anthropocene. To do this, I'm talking with two organizers of the conference, Teresa Lindahl and Jean-Denis Matthias, about topics and organization of the conference, as well as their own research and, of course, interdisciplinarity and science cooperation. Teresa is the Program Director for Behavior, Economics, and Nature at the Bayer Institute of Ecological Economics in Stockholm, Sweden. She conducts research on collective action problems around shared natural resources and investigates how local resource users perceive and respond to increasingly challenging resource conditions that they are confronted with. Jean Denis is the Research Director at the National Research Institute for Agriculture, Food, and the Environment in Clermont-Ferrand, France and is part of the Complex Systems Lab. He has a background in physics and mechanics of material, and his current research deals with the dynamic modeling of social ecological systems, such as agent-based models and differential equations. Specifically, this work aims to understand the sustainable management and transitions of these systems for short-term and long-term benefits. This is the In Common Podcast. Welcome, Teresa and Jean Dennis to the podcast. Um, it's a pleasure to have you both on today. We're going to talk about the Anthropocene IASC conference and hopefully a little bit about both of your work as well. So let's start off with an introduction about who you are and where you, where you work and what you tend to focus on. And Teresa, do you want to start us off? Yes, sure. I sit at the Bayer Institute of Ecological Economics at the Royal Swedish Academy of, of Sciences in Stockholm. And my research focus is, I'm interested, I have a broad interest in, in behavioral aspects of sustainability. So, and, and of course, we know that many of our researchers are common pool resources in common. So that has taken sort of a natural focus for me to study the commons as well, uh, along with other behavioral issues. But that's short what I, what I do. And my background is in sort of economics, behavioral economics, but I would say increasingly more and more across disciplines as well. Great. Could you give maybe one or two examples more specifically of the types of topics that you focus on within that space? Yeah, so so on, on the one hand, I am interested in resource users. So we, we study fishers and small-scale fishers. So we have done some quite some field work in, in Thailand and in Colombia studying how resource users adapt and respond to the changes that we see. Uh, and on the other end of the spectrum, we have sort of citizen behavior. So behavior um, of people like, like us, uh, and it's about consumption behavior, food consumption behavior, how we travel, basically if we behave sustainably or not and how we could change that potentially, so. Thank you. Uh, Jean Dennis, where are you? What do you focus <laughs> on? What, do you, what is your research about? Yeah, so um, I am a full-time researcher at the National Institute for Research uh, for Agriculture, Environment and Food. And I am a member of the Complex System Lab in Clermont-Ferrand. So it is a, a small city near the center of France, very nice city. And uh, my research focuses on the modeling of social ecological systems in order to better understand their dynamics. So, um, uh, I try to, to better understand the transitions and uh, to, to assess transitions pathway in social ecological systems. And uh, also I try to develop some tools in order to manage these, uh, these systems. 
and to, to understand uh, the interactions between the social systems and the ecological systems. And for instance, in order to give you some examples, we, uh, we work on different systems like lake eutrophication, forest, uh, and so on. Both of you are, uh, with a group of others, are part of the organizing committee for this uh, Anthropocene IASC conference. And I'd be interested in personally how this concept of the Anthropocene, which has become increasingly popular, let's say over the last uh, decade or so, has become integrated into your interest as a researcher and has become a useful conceptual tool to, to position your work. Yes, so uh, I think it is yeah, a useful concept. Yeah. In order, you know, to try to, to work with different people because, you know, it is like a fashion concept, but uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes it's quite difficult to, to work with different people from different disciplines, but with, uh, with this concept, we, uh, we can try to work with different people and to, to try to, to have a, um, a nice and quite integrated and systematic approach of, of, um, of um, of social ecological systems in order to understand how humans interact with the ecological systems or also the natural systems. Mm -hmm. so for me, it is very useful in order to, to, to foster the interactions between people. Yeah, I like the idea that's a, a fashionable topic. And that's something I also wondered is how much of it is popular at the time and how much it is useful and actually kind of guiding a future research agenda for a lot of us who are working on these particular for the, particular topics. Uh, Teresa, how does it link to your work? Yeah, no, for me, I think it's, it's um, I find value also in, in the concept um, because I think it, it's sort of, it's a wake up call in a sense. So emphasizing that we see it's, it's a new reality and we just have to deal with it or accept it. And, and um, it's a new reality that, that the human enterprise sort of are affecting the biosphere at a scale we've never seen before. So local on, on a local level we see these pressures but also local events can sort of can spread i mean we see that now with the pandemic can also spread quite fast so so it is sort of a wake-up call i think a realization that this is happening and that we could sort of gather around so so this is also how i i guess i i i see it i see the value that it, it it's a wake-up call that we can sort of come around and talk about and, and discuss and then form our research around. Yeah, yeah I see it very much as this um, this idea of a, of a boundary object, something that as we, as many of us in the environmental governance space uh, are looking to, to work together. So we're looking to move towards interdisciplinarity, for example, to do joint research projects. And a lot of that is between the social and natural sciences, if, if we're going to generalize. If I, if I see it right, or at least from my perspective, I see that the term Anthropocene comes from more of a, like a geological um, disciplinary perspective. I, I think it's this paper by Paul Crutz, and I, I can't remember the year, but it was around 2010, something like this, um, where they're really putting forward that the, you know, the human's the main driver of, of, of global change. And, and I'm wondering to the extent to which that boundary object as a concept actually manifests into material practical methods and practical theory building between disciplines and i'm wondering if in your projects have you experienced that either on the opportunity side where it's worked well where you've used that framing tool to work with people outside of your area of expertise or where there's actually been challenges where you have a common frame like some like the anthropocene but when you get into the details uh, of how you're going to do a joint research project it really 
becomes more challenging. I mean, I, I know that there are scientists that spent a substantial amount of time and exploring and, and arguing, you know, if we should define it and, and not, and, and, you know, finding markers. So when did it stop, start really? Um, I have not worked. I mean, I have not come across any problems of, of talking about the Anthropocene, that there is some kind of tension or not around the, uh, the concept, uh, but there probably is. But, but for me personally, I haven't stumbled across any, any problems or challenges when it comes to uh, working with, with the concept. Yeah, yeah. So, so there are some some debates uh, about the concept. As I said, uh, there is about the starting uh, of uh, of Anthropocene. But uh, I, I think you know, as any concept, it depends how you you use this concept, because uh, the concept is very interesting. But um, for me, uh, it as I, as I said previously, it is very interesting in order to work with different people from different disciplines. For instance, for 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 lake eutrophication or for the management of water resources, uh, I'm working with economists, psychologists, and I think it is a good opportunity in order to to try to 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 gather different people uh, in order to to, to address a, a common problem, and I think it is very useful. But you know, like any concept, you can also have some misusing misuse of, of this concept. So. It depends on people, I guess. I was also interested in this idea of like a watering down of the concept, for example, if a lot of people start to adopt it, but I think the, those who find it useful and proponents of, of that type of a framing uh, would probably be happy for many people to adopt it. But in doing so, um, its power or its uh, influence as actually unifying boundary geography between a core group who are interested in advancing it um, a lot and really, is it kind of, watered down. I think that's uh, can be said for many different concepts of which the Anthropocene is just one of them. Yeah, no, I definitely see that there could be a risk uh, that people just, you know, you hear it and, you know, eventually you you, you, you just don't reflect upon it. Um, but I guess also it, it could mean so many things. So what does the Anthropocene mean for you and for this research project? So often, I guess you, well, now we actually look at increasing variability of, you know, or the increasing surprise, or we're looking at connectivity or the speed of things, or we are, are at this region and we want to see how, uh, you know, the moisture cycle changes or something like that. I think that you often talk about specific aspects of, of the Anthropocene. And so I think that we can avoid uh, the watering down of, of the concept and be more explicit. What, it, what, what is it about the Anthropocene that we are interested in mm -hmm. and that we want to study? I agree because we need to 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 understand and to know how we can use this concept and the the, the, the specificities of the concept we want to mobilize uh, in order to to to, to understand uh, the, the the human action on the ecological system and uh, and I think it is very important to know um, what we want to do with this concept. And in order to address, you know, all the challenges with uncertainties uh, and uh, extreme events and climate change and, uh, and so on. That's a good transition into talking a little bit about the tracks of the conference and how you as, a, as an organizing committee have decided on what tracks you thought would be appropriate or, or most important to focus on within this conference. There, are, I know there's a, a larger group of you. 
how did that discussion go about deciding what were the important parts to focus on and what did you consider in terms of uh, structuring the content of this conference? I think it was um, people coming from different also types of research, you know, and h- highlighting different aspects of the Anthropocene that each of us thought was important. Uh, and we had sort of an online, uh, an email discussion on what should, what tracks should we have? Uh, so I think it, it was really sort of a collaborative effort of, of uh, and also reflecting the, the organizing committee's interest and research. Yeah, it was very interesting because we, we, we had a brainstorming and uh, because we, uh, we come from different fields. So there are some economists, some, some modelers, some ecologists, some, yeah, we have, uh, we have a lot of people from different fields. And it is very interesting because uh, every everyone try to 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 discuss the different point of view and then of course we need some trade-off because we are a group but collectively we we, we decided to, to different tracks of the conference having a look at the the tracks now and three of them uh, explicitly use this this term commoning and I wonder if you had any discussions about that and how this expanded focus on commons or this re uh, focus on commons and this move towards commoning being increasingly popular. Yeah, it is very interesting because we uh, we use this term commoning, but uh, yeah, it is the idea to share some resources and to share different things. And it is interesting because when we took a look on the different uh, talks, there, there are different types of commoning. For instance, of course, there are some focus on on. On, on natural resources, but there are a lot of talks about knowledge, information, and how we can um, we can share knowledge between people in order to to, um, to sustainably manage some systems. So it is very interesting and how uh, commoning can can foster this um, this sustainable management of different systems. For me, actually, it was uh, when we started to plan this this workshop, this was a word that I would not use before. Um, so I had to sort of, so, so, what's, so, so what is this word and, and why commoning? And, and when I, uh, and I was looking into it, it was like, I, I really liked it because it, it, um, it's a sort of a broader concept in a sense that goes beyond the traditional, from my perspective, coming from a sort of a behavioral economics perspective, where you sort of you incorporate or you're not, and you overexploit or you're not, and you take an action or not, and and it seems like this this concept brings more of a relational aspect to the group, and that goes beyond resource extraction. So, so I think I really liked this concept. So I'm going to use it from now on. Uh, so I guess that, that's just sort of my perspective that this was actually kind of new to me. So, but I, I like it. Now, I've also found a lot of use in the term and uh, part of our series, which this podcast can be published under is also termed commoning, the commoning series in the sense that we're, it's a relational in the sense that we share ideas and share knowledge. So I think it's positioned nicely and I think it's, it's nice and refreshing to have these kind of new terms in this, in the space and linked to this conference. I presume also that the two of you are, are probably presenting some of your own work at the conference. Actually, I'm not, <laughs> but I am. Uh, but I'm listening to. Uh, I've started to listen to to talks, and I'm very interested in, in to see what's going on. But I know you, Jean Denis, you have you have some work, right? Yeah, with some some friends. Yeah, 
um, about uh, uncertainties and uh, and dynamics of uh, of different systems, and uh, because we um, with some colleagues we are working on social tipping points, and uh, in order to understand uh, if we can uh, if we can use the work the works done in ecology ecological tipping points and how we can use all this work in order to, to, to better understand social, uh, social tipping points, sorry. Because it is not exactly the same dynamics and the same issues. So it is a, it is a very good talk uh, done by, uh, by your colleague on this topic. But if I would uh, present something or if I would have something, it would probably be in the first track, or I don't know if it's the first track now, but it was the first track when we planned it anyway. But it's, it's a track that, that um, is called sort of commoning in, in this sort of in this hyper connected world with tipping points and uncertainty and, and variability. You know, the things that, that the new that the Anthropocene is sort of that we have in the Anthropocene. So what does that mean for commoning. Um, we know that collective action, etc., it's sensitive to context. So mm. in this new reality, what does that mean for, for example, resource users? So if I were to present something or send something, it would probably be to that track. But there mm. are many other interesting tracks. Let's talk a little bit more specifically about each of your work. I think that would be interesting for folks to hear. Taking a behavioral economics lens and, and looking at collective action, where do you see some of the gaps that you're really interested in in the field that you think are still kind of mysteries or things that need to be to be solved that you would like to address? Yes. So what we have been been doing for, I mean, it, we felt it was a re research gap at the time, but I don't think maybe now it's a research gap anymore. But was actually to look at more these taking these sort of ecological dynamics more seriously and put them into a sort of a common pool resource context where the focus used to be on the social dynamics of the resource. So now bringing in the ecological more complexities into account, for example, tipping points or increasing variability, what does that mean for the social ecological system sort of on, the, on uh, for, for example, the uh, will people cooperate more? Will we see more overexploitation, et cetera? So we had this idea and we collected now some data. And of course, when you collect data, you come across new challenges and whatnot. And we, of course, discover that it's really context dependent. Uh, and one variable that we, we've seen highlighted is, um, it's resource dependency, if you will, or and, and that also made me realize that our models now coming from these aspects that you know I also highlighted, we talk about do people free ride? We see overexploitation because people free ride on each on each other, they cheat on each other, they have this cooperative, but then they don't follow through. And and all those models sort of have these sort of implicit assumption or explicit assumptions that people actually have a choice. They have a choice to overexploit or not. And what we are realizing now with our fieldwork is that for many of these resource users, especially now in this more um, uncertain context where we have also decreasing fish stocks, for example, if we talk about fisheries, uh, there's not a matter of choice. They, they, they have to continue fishing. It's a matter for survival. So what does commoning mean in that sense? So we have to figure this out, I think, instead of just talking about overexploitation or cooperating or not, but actually what is the reality of these resource users? So I think for me, that has been sort of a, uh, a challenge or, or, or um, 
that this is a new way where we need to to venture at least for me maybe others have realized this for for many many years but coming from my uh, background this is sort of this is something that i realized more and more over the years that it's not a matter of choice how are you engaging with resource users in your data collection methods and do you see a, a space for this idea of commenting and relating also between the scientists and the resource users in the sense of how we are relating to them, how we are sharing information, how we uh, extract information from them, and how that can be fed back into the, the further integration of, of this knowledge that's created into, into practice? Yeah. No, I'm, I mean, it started, of course, like you go there and you do your experiment. And then, of course, you learn and you try to feed back to the community. But now over time also, it, it's sort of you feel like with also with local researchers uh, that you invest quite some time and you also build a relationship with the local researcher or the local sort of governments and, and also maybe with with the fishers. So if so for me, it's been sort of a journey coming from this more maybe traditional view of, of, of looking at science that we collect data, like you said, and then we go home, but actually that you co-produce new knowledge and data, uh, that that has been a journey for me where I now, now see that, that we are doing this more and more uh, when we sort of design the, the, when we design the research, we bring in the perspective of, of resource users and policymakers, um, more from the beginning, uh, I would say, than when we started like 10 years ago or something like that. Jean-Denis, yeah, where do you see like in, in, your, in your interests where you think you can expand uh, and build on some of this work and integrate some of these, these Anthropocene or commoning aspects going forward? Yeah, for, for, for me as a modeler, I think a great challenge relies in, um, in um, the social modeling in order to improve and to take into account uh, the social dimensions of different problems. And um, yeah, I, I, I try to, to learn a lot of things and to work with different people from, in psychology and sociology because it is quite difficult in terms of modeling to, to integrate some social issues. And also we need, I, I think, some methods, not only, not only in terms of modeling, but also in, in terms of data in order to, 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 to have, you know, if we want to, to develop some relevant models, we need some relevant data and we need to work together with different people in order to, to, to understand uh, how the social dimensions uh, influence the dynamics of the system. For instance, if uh, we know that knowledge is very important, but um, you, can, you, you can have some individual um, mechanism, but then, you, you discuss with other people, so uh, you have some social interactions and how this knowledge can be spread um, in, within the population. And all these questions and how you take, take into account um, the knowledge of other people and so on. For me, it is a great challenge if we want to, to address this with some modeling tool. And uh, it is my personal challenge today. Where do you see for you as those major challenges. I mean, this translation, uh, if we if we want to have co-production, I think this translation gap is, is really, really difficult. Yeah, yeah. And for me, sometimes uh, it is not the model. It's the most important. It is how we build this model. 
with different people <laughs> because mm. you know yeah sometimes the model is just a tool in order to discuss with different people and to try you know to share knowledge because if you want to develop a, a model uh, you need to share information and knowledge uh, of, a, of a given system and for me it is very interesting you know just the, this process of sharing information and knowledge in order to build some model. Of course, then the model is very interesting because I <laughs> am a model also. <laughs> but, uh, but I like also this, all this, uh, this time where we, we try to understand each other and we share some, some knowledge. I like that a lot. I like that idea of the model is not the means, but it's the process of the co-production. I think we, by doing the interview, it's not what I get out of it. It's the process of relating to the other person and co-creating some space where we can share information. It seems that both of your work is is collaborative in the sense of either working with other scientists or working with field partners in other countries, et cetera. And what are some of the challenges that you both have experienced in science collaboration? And I think this could maybe be framed more broadly as interdisciplinary work uh, or even transdisciplinary work in the sense of working with non-academics. I would be happy to hear what you think some of the challenges for you and your work are with interdisciplinary work and science collaboration and how you've tried to address some of those. Yeah, I mean, right now, I just, because I was, you know, listening to Jean-Denis also, that uh, I actually have just how modeling can bring different disciplines together. So I also have a very successful collaboration where we used our data with modeling modelers um, to, uh, but anyway, so, but challenges. (laughs) Um, I think it's, it's, uh, so I think the challenges can arise with personality. So that's one where you just don't, you have, you may have good intentions. You may see this, the problem, but you just have different ways of of working or, and and sometimes that comes with different disciplines, but can also come with different methods that you just value methods differently. So I think we need an open, that my method is not, you know, better than your method or that we, or, or my data, that qualitative versus quantitative divide, that that could also create tension, I think, if, if you value research differently. Uh, so I think yeah, disciplines is one, but but also just the method or, or the personality of, of researchers is, is can be equally important. Um, so, so those are some challenges that I would say that I faced when the personality don't meet or when you you don't have the same you, you value research differently depending on the the method maybe or the date type of data or or um, or the science that could create challenges uh, so I, I think key challenge is about the cognitive bias we have researcher because um, sometimes because of our background and because of our experience we have some some cognitive bias in the sense we think in a specific way because we, we discuss with um, with some colleagues, the same colleagues um, since uh, I don't know how many years. And sometimes we think in the same way. And sometimes when we discuss with some people, we have some bias. And I think it is a challenge for me to try to, to, to clear this bias in order to have some relevant and constructive uh, discussion with other people. And because as we said, we, uh, we are working with different people from different disciplines and from different countries with different values and, um, and, from, and with different backgrounds, but we have bias. <laughs> so we need to, to try 
to, to clear it and to remove, but it, it is not so easy, of course. It is, and it is why it is a big challenge for me. Do you have any particular tools or strategies that you use personally to try to remove the cognitive bias? It's so difficult. I would like to say beer, but I guess we can <laughs> remove this. <laughs> so, but, yeah. Sometimes I wonder how many like great research ideas and collaborations start at uh, over a beer or a glass of wine or something. I mean, it's not uh, an unrealistic thing to, <laughs> I think yeah. that's, that's, I mean, one thing that's perhaps lost over the, uh, the digital conferences, even though the, the ISC fisheries conference that I participated in was, was really great. I thought it worked really smoothly with the online function and I hope it works well with this Anthropocene as well, but there's something lost. Uh, there's some social capital that's, that's lost, which I think uh, is required. Um, outside of a formal context. To, I think it relates to what you said today. It's about personality as well. Sometimes you need, sometimes the formal context of a conference or a meeting um, needs to be broken down, I think, for people to express their opinions more openly, things like that. Do you have any other tools? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can also, uh, I mean, our our sort of special trick is to go, when you can meet in person and when you can travel is to go to a remote place where you cannot leave. <laughs> right. So, and then you bring some, some beer maybe. So you, you are actually forced to sort of socialize or, or just to, um, to be open. I mean, it's, it's about being open, right? So you have to train maybe to be open and, and to trust that these people know what they are talking about. So, uh, but I also think that it's a skill that mm. you also learn over time. You, you become better also working with not only other academics, but also with civil society organizations or with policymakers or with, uh, you know, the private business sector, or it, it's a skill that you can, you can sort of learn, you become better at it. Would you have any thoughts or advice for, for like for early career researchers? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think that it's just, you know, just accept that, that all collaborations will not be ideal. That uh, and but if you happen to be in a group that works well, you should be happy and maybe you should build on that group uh, mm -hmm. or those persons. You know, then you have a few people that you know, and then you can sort of invite people that are more maybe um, risky or people that you don't know. Uh, so at least you have some good ground. So to start, so try to find those people that you. You work well with uh, and then go with that and then expand your collaborations uh, but if it doesn't work it's the next collaboration may work <laughs> i would be interested to hear what the two of you are interested or are looking forward to about this conference what do you what would you like to get out of it yeah no i i have not participated in a, in a conference this big uh, before so i am looking for, and i'm looking forward to see how this you know you talk about flipping the classroom when you teach now that you know people look at at your presentations and then you have a discussion so this is to me will be really interesting now whether we can we can look at the talks already uh, we can watch them and then we can you know we can engage to see you know what the authors actually in the discussion I think this is something that you would not have in a normal conference maybe that I look forward to and then of course there are some interesting topics so I think that with the new um, that I didn't think about before that uh, you know now when we are at this global scale in the Anthropocene we have these new comments emerging that we may you know like the moisture cycle for example can we conceptualize that as a commons or I saw an abstract, like who owns the wind? Um, mm. I saw also this, you know, a session on, on seeds that, you know, like uh, 
how commoning in this in, instead of you know the seed market the global markets for seed how they share seeds and with network and participation as as a as opposed to being traded in a global market. So there is also a whole special session on that. So there are both topic-wise and also interacting-wise that I look forward to uh, to engage with this conference. I, yeah, I like um, how this conference is organized because, you know, online conference, it is quite difficult in order to have interactions. So I participated to different online conference. You have a talk and then two minutes of question, but it is very short, but here you can, um, you can see um, the talks before, and then you have a specific session in order to discuss. And I think it is very important, you know, to try to, ha to, to have different interaction between scientists and researchers and all people. And uh, I like the way how, uh, how the, this conference is organized with these pre-recorded pre talks and then the discussion. I think yeah, it will be uh, very, uh, useful. Thanks for tuning in. The In Common Podcast is produced by Michael Cox, Courtney Hammond-Wagner, and myself. We are a partner project of the International Association for the Study of the Commons and the International Journal of the Commons. To listen to more episodes, you can find us on any podcast app or listen on our website, www.incommonpodcast.org. On our website, you will find our link to our blog and our Patreon page where you can make a small donation to help us cover our operating costs. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at InCommonPod.